Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. This week, I have a special guest with us. Kevin Butcher is joining me. He preached a sermon several weeks ago in our community, but he is a, a longtime pastor, 30 years in pastoral ministry experience, huge heart for God, amazing leader. He's personally ministered to my soul. And we're going to talk about Romans chapter 8, because that's what Alex preached on on Sunday. But it also happens to be the passage that he preached on several weeks ago. And in this episode, we're gonna center around the questions related to, is God's love actually as good as the scriptures make it sound? And what prevents us from sinning? If God loves us unconditionally, why would we stop sinning? And these kinds of questions are gonna be dealt with in this episode. And I'm going on and on in this intro. So I'm gonna stop now, and you're just gonna have to listen to the rest of the episode. Let's tune in. Well, hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Red Couch Theology Podcast. And in case you hadn't noticed, Alex is not here, but I have an amazing guest. Kevin older version Berger. of Alex. Older oh, version. Older version of Alex. But Alex is off um, hanging out with some of his, I think his wife's side of the family uh, yeah. at the lake. Uh, and so we try to let him get away every once in a while. Let him take a break sometimes. Yeah. But... Kevin is here, and I thought it was a couple things about Kevin, and then I want you to share about yourself. Um, Kevin uh, is attends our community when he's in town. Otherwise, right. he's frolicking around the country and caring for pastors and leading events and, and mm -hmm. teaching, that sort of thing. But also, a few weeks ago, you preached a message on the same chapter as yeah, Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by the way, he, I don't know if he told you this, but he said, he said, yeah, so my lectionary text is Romans 8, and then I went back, and I saw that Kevin preached it, and then I listened to his sermon. I was like, oh, no. So he Alex, said that? Yeah, he was he's like, gosh. he covered it so well. Why do I have to preach the oh same text? So he was, all, he was all like, okay, what do I say about this? It's like on the coattails of what Kevin I'm gonna just covered. I'm going to have to tell covered. him, though, honestly, what I just told you, a connection he made for me. With all the times over the last 40 years I've taught, preached, devotionalized this text, he made a connection for me last week that really, really touched me. I'm going to make sure I tell him. Yeah, that. for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so he he loved it. And um, so our goal today is a couple things. It's a little weird because um, the preacher isn't here, and this is sort Indeed. of a podcast semi-centered around the sermon. Right. Uh, but because you preached a few weeks ago, we're going to also backtrack and cover a little bit of okay. the beginning of Romans 8. But okay. otherwise... Tell us a little bit more about who you are, your family, and and some of your background so that folks who haven't, on our show, who haven't met you, get to know who you are. Okay. Well, um, pastored for 35 years, lead pastor, small rural church in central Indiana, then a larger urban suburban church right on the edge of Detroit that started out really small and for whatever reason got really, really big. Mm -hmm. Um and that got fired uh, from that church, actually, um, not to put all my business out here on this podcast, but um, it was a, it was a moment that shaped my, my journey. It was over race, racial issues and whatever, mm -hmm. us trying to really uh, be a church for all people in the most racially divided city in the country, Detroit, Michigan, and uh, just mm -hmm. brought a lot of conflict. And, and so that ended poorly, wanted to get out of the ministry, but didn't have a way to make a living. I was 48 years old. And also that call, that thing, you know, that thing that says, this is what you're supposed to do. It didn't leave me. And so there was a group that formed that came out of that community. Most of the people of color and, and some of the Caucasian folk, and they formed a little community and asked me if I would come and be their pastor after my six months of, of trying to regroup and recover and so we did. We went deeper into uh, Detroit, into a really, really, really tough neighborhood. And I was there for 16 years. My first book came out of that experience, just seeing mm -hmm. people touched by the love yeah. of God who really... That's free, right? That, no, that's Choose no. and Choose Again. Okay. Um, it's just story oh, okay. after story of people who you would think there's no way they can find healing this side of glory. But because of the love of God that they never knew, they began to heal and become set free. Um, so that was that. Uh, and then at February the 28th, 2016, you know, you don't hear these words often. Some people might say, I've never heard a word like this, but it was at the end of a, a service at, at Hope down in the hood. 
And uh, it had been a crazy service, which many of our services were because there were all kinds of different people there, you know, raising their hand in the middle of the sermon and getting up and saying things in and out, whatever, <laughs> that I felt the Lord saying, you can let go now, son. Wow. I literally buckled my knees. And so that began a process of forming, um, of leaving hope. It took about a year and a half and forming a nonprofit that's called Rooted that now helps, comes alongside pastors and their families, their spouses and their families, and, and, and other Christian leaders as well, and helps them maybe find the love of God in a deeper way, to be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, which fills us with all the fullness of God. So that's what I do. That's when you said I'm frolicking around the country. Good, good word. <laughs> Not so much, but we're, I'm just trying, our, our organization, our staff tries to be present through retreats, Zooming, boots on the ground, counseling sessions, walking with is present to pastors and leaders around the country and their spouses and families to try to help them realize that the performance thing that they kind of got in seminary, you got to do this, you got to do this, here's the list. Yeah. And now many of them are feeling emptied out. We try to help them find their way home to the God who calls himself their father, who simply says, I love you. I'm with you. If you will lean on me, lean into me, my love will fill you and, and give you the, the power you, you are longing for yeah. in your ministry. I, I, the battle you're fighting with the powers of darkness for the sons and daughters of God, for their very lives, you will mm-hmm. have what you need for the journey if you can rest in my love. Yeah. So I, um, I first met Kevin through like, I, for me, it was like this miraculous situation because mm. I was, I was uh, right before my sabbatical. And, I remember. Uh, <clears throat> right before my sabbatical, I'm super weary. We'd been through, uh, for those of you who've been around South for a while, you knew pastor search process immediately followed by COVID. Oh, yeah. And I was sort of like running on empty and Alice and I were struggling like a little bit yeah, extra yeah. tension in our, in our relationship and then I'm supposed to go on the sabbatical and I'm just thinking like, how am I going to do this? How do I approach yeah. these things, whatever. And somehow through the grapevine, and I don't remember, I don't even think it was your daughter that originally, maybe. I think it might've been Andrea. I think it was yeah. Andrea. So Andrea, who's uh, another member of our community here uh, said, Hey, you know, if you're interested, my dad actually helped uh, my mom and dad help uh, ministry leaders. And, and I'm thinking, budget and all these things and i'm like ah and just just let me she said just just see if they would like to have a conversation with you guys so i reached out and you're like absolutely this is what i do i love coming alongside leaders yeah. and pastors we never had anyone to be honest yeah really and didn't. you'd arrived like two or three weeks in colorado Pretty, prior we just moved into our house just yeah. moved in <clears throat> and you said yeah come over for dinner yeah and we'll just have a conversation and I look up your address and you're like two miles it from It was unbelievable. House. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, they arrived two weeks before the sabbatical. I'm desperately looking for someone um, who's been in ministry, mm-hmm. who can sort of walk alongside us intentionally during the sabbatical. Anyway, all this stuff. Yeah. We sat down, had an incredible meal for multiple on hours. On the back porch. On remember? the back porch, yeah. shared some tears, some stories, these different things. And then Kevin and I started meeting yeah. uh, every few weeks during my sabbatical just touch and base. And it was in a tremendously healing relationship so as well as a season of my life. And so, and then he kind of said, after visiting South a couple of times, he said, Hey, would you hate it if I came to South when I was in town? And I was like, no, absolutely. Come. Yeah. I would love that. So, yeah. and now you've had a chance to preach a couple of times and it's been awesome. So, yeah, and, we, and we love South. We love it. A, a couple other things. So, uh, <clears throat> just because I'm a huge fan of Kevin and, uh, so he also runs a pod- podcast. So if you're interested in that, what was with the podcast? It's called Rooted the Podcast. Rooted right. the Podcast. And it, it, there's another Rooted the Podcast, I think. I think our communications guys said that there's sometimes there's a confusion with another one. We have the Detroit Tiger colors. It's 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 a, a an orange, kind of a dark orange and midnight blue. Yeah. Um, and it says Rooted. So Perfect. that would be us. There you go. Yeah. So he's got a podcast if you want to check him out there too. He's also got a, uh, several books that are incredibly, like one of them is just full of stories of God transforming hearts yeah, and lives. Indeed. Amazing. And then the other one's on basically what you just described, 
this the freedom that comes when yeah. we truly grasp the love, the of, love God of God for us for us yeah which is a perfect segue yeah. to Romans chapter yeah. eight. Yeah. So Alex is obviously not here, um, but I'll give you guys a little bit of a summary. But he preached on Romans eight, and then Kevin preached on Romans <clears throat> the early part of Romans eight. Yeah. Uh, the week before the series started, but just so that you all, I'm not going to, I can't like, you know, pick on Alex or anything because he's not <laughs> so here Pick on me. So, uh, but I will still give you all a little bit of a summary. If you remember, actually, here's what we'll do. Since Alex isn't here, we'll just let the scripture speak for themselves. Indeed, and I want to read Romans eight, this section that he, and then maybe we'll just talk a little bit about how this passage has affected us over the years. Um, on screen here we go so this is the passage so our, we're again just finishing our ordinary time series and the lectionary text for this week happened to land here and so this is what alex preached on and we know that in all things god works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose for those god foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. Um, this is like one of the most majestic sections in all of the scriptures. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, that's he, a line. Oh. Like right there, that is a line. Yeah. Like, it's almost like, <laughs> it's almost like Paul's like, beating his chest like i'm invincible because it's of exactly the love of god what he's saying can't touch me it's exactly what he's saying so good anyway he who did not separate his own son but gave him up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things who will bring us any charge against those who god has chosen is it it is god who justifies who then is the one who condemns no one christ jesus who died more than that who was raised to life is at the right hand of God mm. and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, yeah. we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels or demons, neither present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Mike, Amen, man. drop. I'm Paul. telling you, man. Whew. Well, I just said to you, if we had Luke 15, parable of the prodigal son, and that passage, I, if I lost the rest of the Bible, I could I could walk home with those two texts. Oh, so good. Yeah. So good. Um I think one of the things, and maybe you can speak to this, some of what Alex was wrestling with is that very first section of this lectionary text. And we like being super real on the podcast. He says in this, in 28, and we know that all things God works for the good of those who love him and who called according to his purpose. And it sounds majestic. And when you see it on... Yeah coffee cups and on billboards yeah. and all of these things. But then anyone who's lived a little bit of life, especially those who've lived a little bit of life trying to follow Jesus yeah. as call themselves Christians. And they're like, I don't know if I buy it. Yeah, of course. So what do we do with a text like well, this? Well, I, I thought Alex did a really good job of basically ferreting out what we, how we define good. And, and I think a lot of times, just my opinion, the way we read this is, we know that all things work together um, for good, meaning that we will feel good at some point in time. In we'll really like it. Pain. We'll like it, of course. <laughs> and that's not the definition of good from Genesis to Revelation. It's a, it's a more cosmic good. It's a, I think the way Alex described it is God who is good is with us in the darkness and ultimately in uh, the end of all things, when everything is made right, that's what the word justification means. It means to be made right. When, when everything is made right, which is what Romans 8 is about, when creation is made right, when our individual lives are made right, when all the pain is somehow brought together into a place where it's made right, that's what God promises to do. 
with the word good. That's the word good, that one day all the pain will somehow not be wasted, but will be made right ultimately. But in the middle of that pain, it's not implying that we're going to feel good. We will know his presence in the middle of that pain. We will know the shepherd in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death which will calm our spirits and give us perspective and help Mm. us to keep walking and will put salve on our wounds. But there's no way that this implies that the pain will somehow will have so much perspective that it won't hurt anymore. That's not what it says. It never meant to say that, which is why we have had so much trouble with the text. And it can't possibly mean that. Possibly mean because even if you look at the guy who's writing it, this is a guy who's multiple exactly. times in prison, exactly. multiple times beaten. And right. he's like, yeah, this is great. Right, right. <laughs> and it's not like he's saying, yeah, this is a, su- a cakewalk. And, and I don't it's think just... we can uh, underestimate. I think Alex brought this out well. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. There's that love piece again, that his love. This is the invitation of Jesus in John 15 before he leaves the planet and tells the disciples one of, one of which would be exiled and literally almost lose his mind, John, mm-hmm. and 10 of the others who were martyred, at least according to, to lore in church history. He basically says, you've got to make your home in my love. You've got to abide in my love. So here it is that he says, in mm-hmm. all these things, the one who loves us is there. And somehow that love that took Jesus to the cross, that kept him on the cross, and that and that when he said it is finished, crush the powers of darkness. It is that love that N.T. Wright, as you know, says, is the new power. So somehow in the midst of the darkness and the bad, the love of Christ, his presence, that love is with us and promises us that even though it hurts now, in some ways unbearably so, that he is there and one day his love will make sure that all is well and all things will be set right. That yeah. love is the key, in my view, to this entire text. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Which I think actually may be a good segue to jumping into one of the questions that we received. Okay. So this week, um, again, this was a question directed for it for Alex in his sermon, but we're going to take our best swing at it. Um, Alex can correct us. Next yeah, that's week. right. He, if we, Alex, if we say anything wrong, let us know. Um, you can fix but it. But be up. humble about that's it. That's right. That's right. Um, So this is the question that came in this week uh, based upon Alex's treatment of this text. He said, um, he quoted the the text, nothing can separate us from God. And there's like this dot, dot, dot. But what about those fears on our list that are present as a result of our own conscious sin? Doesn't sin separate us from God? Uh, For instance, if I struggle with addiction... Uh, or continue to choose to pick up the bottle or click on the porn or uh, conscious, consciously choose sin doesn't or can, doesn't that separate me from God? Or for another example, if I struggle with sexual sexuality and continue to pursue same-sex relationships um, despite knowing God calls us not to, can this separate me from God? I mean... I, I think for most of us, that question looms somewhere deep in our heart. Do you mean nothing? Does nothing, does the Greek word nothing actually mean absolutely nothing, even conscious, continual, almost mm-hmm. addictive sin? And the first thing I want to say um, to whoever asked this question, I, I'd like to have coffee. Yeah. With that brother or that sister, not mm-hmm. to try to fix anything, not to preach another sermon, but to be present and and to create safe space as a brother so that as they may feel safe enough to share with me exactly what's going on, mm-hmm. that maybe God would allow me as an older brother to embody the nothing that, that Paul talks about in this text, that you can share this with me. I'm not put off. I, Sin hurts us, and so I would be sad for that person. I would, I would hurt for that person because yeah. that that sin brings pain. But that I wouldn't be put off, and 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 in embracing that brother or that sister, mirror what Paul is trying to say here: that no matter what, even conscious, continuous, addictive sin, nothing will separate us from His love. 
God is for us in that moment. Now, mm-hmm. when we sin, this is this is my view. When we sin, it's like Luke 15, we're choosing to go into a far country. Yep. So in a way, I guess John's language in 1 John, we, we break fellowship with him. The intimacy we're longing for may not be there, but not because he's not for us. I mean, the whole point of the Luke 15 parable is that the father never stopped loving the son. The son never stopped being the son of the father. Yeah. The son had chosen for a moment to leave the intimacy and the fellowship and the safety of that relationship. But the father was longing for the return of the son mm-hmm. with the son for the son, nothing, even that rebellious kid saying, I almost said a swear <laughs> word. Sorry. I don't know how casual we are, but <laughs> yeah. even the son who had said, I wish you were dead, dad, give me your inheritance so I can go spend that on whatever I want. Even that level of disrespect did not make the father turn from the son. Yeah. So nothing means nothing. nothing. Yeah. I, yeah. And by the way, it's if you don't tricky, mind me using yeah. just one illustration, I have three daughters. Uh, two of them come to South and, and uh, one of one of them doesn't because she lives uh, about 40 minutes away. But I'm just telling you that those girls, thank God we love each other intimately and deeply, but you've got daughters, bro. And I know you could say this. Yeah. There is nothing they could do. They could, God forbid, plot my murder, and there's nothing they could do to make me not love them as my little girls. I can't even talk about it without crying. So if God is our father and he's perfect in his love, I'm imperfect in my love. I'm an imperfect human father. If nothing means nothing for me with my daughters, what must nothing me mean for God is our Abba with us, even in our rebellion, which by the way, all of us are going to die with some rebellion still in our hearts. Mm-hmm. Does anybody get to the point where at the age of 72 or 97, they go, you know what? I've finally arrived. I'm not <laughs> consciously rebelling against God in any way. No one yeah. is like that until glory. So nothing means nothing for all of us all the way home till then. Absolutely. So like, I think Alex even hinted at this a couple episodes ago and he referenced Romans six, which is two chapters prior. To this. Yeah. Yeah. And he part says, of the same section, part yeah. of the same section where he's building this climax yeah. argument where basically in, in chapter six, Paul has to almost like rein in some tangent thoughts because he was getting a, like there, he, his grace and the love of God is so terrifyingly big I know. that people started to say, so we can do anything we want, yeah, exactly. and God's love. What shall we say then? Shall we sin that grace may abound? Yeah. No, may it never be. That's not the point. But the point is actually that that's how terrifyingly big this love yeah, is. It is. It's so big that if you don't push the love of God to the point where you're starting to ask that, well, maybe, then you haven't gone far enough you with the love, the love of God. And grace yet. Yeah. Now, so then the next question is, what is the tether? What prevents, so if, if God's discipline and anger and cosmic spanking isn't the scary thing to prevent us from sinning, because it's just his posture towards us is, is everlasting, unconditional love, then what is the prevention for sin? What's the, what's the stick? That's such a good question. And I, you know me well enough by now to know that I don't think there's a stick. I mean, God's discipline you know, Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Even a human father will discipline his sons and daughters. Yeah. How much more are, you know, our heavenly father? Of course. Yeah. Discipline is a thing. But you know the old adage, this hurts me worse than it hurts you, which we go, nah, my dad didn't mean that, you know. But, yeah. But this, this father does because he loves us so much. So the discipline is there. And this human body and this broken world, our flesh is so strong. Yes, he's got to bring us home so that we come back to a pathway that leads to life, not a pathway that leads to death. But I don't think that's the biggest motivator. I think for me, just my mm-hmm. own story, Yeah, 36 years old, um, I've probably shared this with some of South and a couple of the times that I've preached here, but, you know, I, I mean, I had been 
an obedient son, so to speak. I had my list of the list that was given to me, yeah. the list that seminary gave to me. And so I was a pretty disciplined person. You know, I was a good student, had to be disciplined. I was an athlete uh, and, and I had some success in high school and college as an athlete, had to be disciplined. So I was pretty disciplined in the Christian life. But at the age of 36, with all that discipline, one night after another performance, another sermon, and another round of applause, and on the way home that night on the east side of Detroit, I wanted to kill myself. I almost, I came within an eyelash, Aaron, of, of taking my own life. And when I got home that night, I, I, I remember falling on my face and saying, God, I have everything. I have a, a wall full of plaques and awards, and, and everybody thinks I'm a really good Christian pastor type person. What am I missing? And through a series of circumstances and events that I won't get into, God's answer was, son, what you don't know is what you are born to know. What you are created to experience is my love for you. Hmm. Not just the world, but for you. I love you. My love is intended to fill up your heart. You, he didn't say this in so many words, but I felt this in my spirit. You and all of your ministry and all of your Christian doings, you're like the younger brother. He's been in, you've been in the far country doing it all. I'm over in the distance. And you finally come to the place where you've got nothing. You even wanted to die. And I'm inviting you to look up like the young man in Luke 15 and look home and see your father. Mm -hmm. That's me, son. You're longing for me. So like that, like that young man, get up and come home. And I'm already, I'm already running towards mm -hmm. you. I'm going to meet you on the road and I'm not going to chastise you. That's not the point. Mm -hmm. It's my arms of compassion. And, yeah. and I like the, like the young man, I'm going to smother you with my kisses and I'm going to kill the fatted calf and give you the, the sandals and, and, and the robe and the ring. So Alex or Alex, Aaron, my response to your question is what keeps me from wanting on the days that I'm in my right mind to wander off into the far country of sin is that when I am in his love, I'm home, bro. Yeah. I'm home. I'm full. So, so the Does definition. That make any sense? Yeah, absolutely. So the definition earlier that you gave of good is the thing that it's the gravitational force that keeps you exactly. away from sin. Exactly. The love of God is the good. The relationship of a of a perfect father that that's actually it. fulfills. That's it. So, so maybe, so if you're fearing that if I let this grace get too big, I'm going to go off the rails. No, actually let the grace get so big I mean, and the love get so big oh in your gosh. mind and oh in your gosh. heart yes. that it has enough gravitational force to keep you home. That's it. Uh, so that if you wake up in the far country, because we will, we'll inch our way back. It's totally. like frog in the kettle. And all of a sudden we go, how did I get here again? Yep. You more quickly than before. You stay less long. You stay shorter visits in the far country. Yeah. <laughs> and more quickly, you come to the end of yourself and you go, what am I doing here? There's home. Yep. That's what my heart is longing for. So if you want to tie it to Romans 8, at the beginning, which is what I preached a few yeah. weeks before Alex preached yeah. this, when, when he says in um, um, Romans 8, 15, for look, in Christ, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, to your point, totally. the fear of discipline, the fear of punishment, the fear of being rejected. He goes, in Christ, that's not what it's about. That's not motivational. That's not the draw. He said, here's the draw. You have been adopted. You have received the spirit, the Holy Spirit of adoption. Now, from that moment on in Christ, your cry, the word kratzo, which literally means to cry out in joy and sorrow. Your cry is when you see God, Abba that term of intimacy, Abba Father, I want to come home. I yeah. am home. That, that image is the foundation of the rest of this text 
about yeah. what goes on in the midst of the pain. So we're not making this up. It's not like you and I've been to therapy and we go, you know, we have some concepts we'd like to impose on the scripture. Not at all. This yeah. is coming right out of the book. And by the way, what N.T. Wright calls Paul's maybe life verse, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless, yet not I live, but Christ lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's Paul's personal theology that you see his love of his father and his father's love for him that took him through the beatings and the imprisonment and eventually getting his head chopped yeah. off and kept on walking with him mm. is mirrored in this text, starting with Romans eight fifteen, all the way to the end where he says, nothing can separate us from that father love. Yeah. So if I, so I love that. Um, I'll put the text back up here on our, in our show. Uh, for, for those of you who don't know, we also stream this to YouTube. So if you want to watch any of this, you always can. Uh, it's mostly better on audio, but there's occasionally some bonuses in the actual video version. Um, but if you look at this in 15, that question I asked you was like, okay, what's, yeah, what's yeah. the stick? What's the stick? And Paul basically says fear would have been the stick, but it's not how it's this not. system the law makes you afraid. The system is not fear. Exactly. So if fear is driving you to obedience, then you're outside of the the Jesus way of existence. Exactly. Instead, sonship and adoption and love chosenness is the it, it's less of a it's not a stick. It's, it's actually not a stick. it's a bond. It's a relationship. It's a whatever you want to use that's um that's drawing you. So the image that I grew up with, I don't know about you and your Christianity, but maybe some. Yeah, a little bit. Was more of this. You need. Totally. The image now, especially since my almost suicide, and, and that's been 32 years ago now, the image now is this. Embrace. Yeah. Even when, and this is what really moves you, even when we've just come out of a Saturday night of whatever or uh, two hours of whatever, even then, like the prodigal in Luke 15, you're sitting there in, 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 in the pig stuff, the slop, the, the food, you got nothing. And that's when most of all, he sees us and he's moving toward us. He will never make us move toward him, but he's hopeful that in our mess, mm. our, our, our brother or our sister who asked the question, isn't he running the other way in, that, in the middle of that mess? No, he's our father. He's our Abba. He sees, he's weeping with us and he's praying and hoping. The intercession of Jesus in this text, he's praying for us that we will come to our senses in that moment mm. and start moving toward home. The father who's already moving toward us, bro. Yeah. So Name good. another world religion that is that. Nothing. There is not any. Yeah. And that's then backed up by the very death of the, the cross. One. Like, that's it's right. like, that's right. He, he's like, yeah, I'm not just talking about this. Let me show you oh, how man. the length, the heights, the depths that I'm going to go to, exactly to demonstrate right, it to you. You're yeah. killing me, man. You're killing me. That I almost could be in a fetal position right now. That's how beautiful <laughs> that story is. That reality is so good. So I have this like I had this re uh, revelation when it came to um, confession, maybe five or six years ago, hmm. and I, I've said it a couple times as, as I've led worship at South, where I was like, I think confession gets a bad rap because it it's sometimes maybe by Christians think think of this confession as like I have to get myself in this really like shameful space that's correct and say yeah. i'm yeah, yeah. really 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 sorry like no no this time i'm super duper sorry yeah. i'm crying harder i'm crying this time i really mean it and that's what a lot of christians think of as confession and instead i think of confession is what you just described that moment like in the luke story of the prodigal the second you start to turn your trajectory mm -hmm. back towards home that's confession. It's this recognition that that's the actual life. And so well, I love this picture. That's good. Of, I have this image in my head now when I, when I pray any sort of confession prayer. I have 
like I start to turn towards confession and I start to pray my prayer and I can just picture my father in heaven getting in the front of his seat. Oh my gosh, bro. And he goes, That's and he so goes, good. he like leans in the front of his seat and he's like listening and he goes, and I say, father, I'm so, you're forgiven. Like he exactly. cuts me off. He doesn't even, which like he does. He did in Luke 15. Exactly. He, he, does, he <laughs> has the prayer of repentance, right? He starts in his litany about, I was wrong. I'm stupid. And he goes, Shh. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I just feel like I have this literal picture of him getting on the front of his seat. Okay. That's he, so good. You're saying it. You're saying, amen. You're forgiven. Boom. Like, you're like, shut up. Okay, cool. Like, fine. You're sorry. Great. Aaron, that is anyway. beautiful. And actually, <laughs> if you want just a little yeah. uh, Greek language to back that up, yeah. the term, you, you know this, I'm sure, you're in seminary, and if you yeah. don't know it, you're going to know it. First yeah. um, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful yep. and just to forgive us. That picture you just gave yep. us. It's the term. Yeah. The word confession, homologeo, um, means to agree with. Yeah. So the minute we look at our Father and say, begin to say even, you were right. Yeah. We're forgiven. Yep. Not did you cry hard enough? In fact, let's think of Peter who denied Christ three times. Yeah. But but knew even in the moment that he did it because he looked across the courtyard and saw Jesus. What a moment. I think it's in Luke. Jesus sees him and at that for that third denial, they catch each other's eyes. Yeah. And then he's in so much shame and guilt that he runs off and starts fishing again, saying, "I, God will never receive me. But then he sees Christ on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And I, I believe with all my heart, Jesus went there because he knew Peter was going to be there and he was going to bring him home. Yeah. And he loves Jesus so much. He's already agreed that was wrong. He's already forgiven. And you'll notice when he gets to the shore, yeah. Jesus doesn't say, say, you need to get on your knees, man. You need to weep for me. You and I haven't talked since you screwed that whole thing up. He cooks him a meal, which in the Jewish community is a, an invitation to fellowship. Yeah. It's First John 1, 9. Like we're buddies here. We're, we're, we're you're close, back, bro. Yeah. You haven't even said a word about that, but I know about it. In fact, he builds a coal fire, which the only other time that phrase coal fire is used is of the coal fire that Peter denied Christ around with the young lady who was asking him questions. So there's so much metaphor there. Oh, there's so much so truth good. there. Jesus is saying, I know. And now, you know, Peter, so you're forgiven. And then he says, there's just one thing before I send you back out. Do you love me? And, and I think he asked we're back him, in Romans eight. I think he asks him that. Because Peter needed to say it, not because I, I agree he with that. I think so Jesus. Good. I think Jesus knew. Yep, Peter. Uh, yeah, Jesus knew, and then he's like, "You, if there's any lingering amount of shame, I want you to hear your own voice I say think it that's again." So good, Aaron. That's so good. Yeah. In fact, Peter threw himself out of the boat to get to Jesus. Of course, he loved him. Yeah. But it's like you said, Peter was still so wrestling with the guilt and shame. He needed Peter to get it. Yeah. And it's about this love. I already love you, son. Do you confess that you love me? Say it again. Say it yeah. again. Say it a third time to push back the darkness of those three denials. And now go feed my sheep. Yep. You're good. Yeah. Go do your Where thing. Where we think we have to go into six months of whipping ourselves, um, penance, if you will. Yeah. Which I don't think there's a word. Uh, translated penance for real in the entire Greek New Testament. Yeah. Repentance, which is turning around, but not penance, beating ourselves up. It's not there. Peter didn't have to beat himself up. Yeah. Forgiveness yeah. was present like it is to us. Hmm. Isn't that cool? So good. So so going back to the person, I, we don't know who, who it is that submitted the of question course. here, but so the answer is, yes, the love of God is always there. Always. So now... Um, so maybe based upon our conversation, what are some maybe shuddering, maybe fearful steps that whoever asked this question could take towards the love of God, um, away from this, this fear based -based or question or doubt, or like, this sounds too good to be true. Yeah. So what are some recommendations maybe you could say, like, 
because I think what some of what we've just described is let the rather than letting the fear of God, yeah. the fear of punishment that grow, the punishment, yeah. the, the, rather than the fear of punishment growing to prevent you from sin. Yeah. Let's try and find ways to let the love of God grow so that it prevents yeah. you from sin. So uh, what are some tips, tricks that you've learned over the years to let the love of God grow? Yeah. Such a good question. From my personal journey and then from working with a zillion people, and I'm an old, I'm an old guy, you know, so I've worked with a, a lot of people around this question. Um, and I wouldn't say first, second, and third, but these are some pieces yeah. of that healing. Um, because the narrative of God is about punishing and we're bad and he's good and, you know, how can he love us in the midst of this badness? He probably can't. We have to do penance. We have, that narrative is, is so strong and often instilled in us from a really early age. And we're supposed to get that love piece from mom and dad, but if they don't know it, mm-hmm. they give us what they have, which is usually some version of shame. So that narrative is so strong that one of the things that I needed early on was to um, fill myself with truth that pushes back the darkness of those lies. Mm-hmm. So um, I read Brandon Manning's rag, the Ragamuffin Gospel. Mm-hmm. I wept all the way through it, and I thought, he's talking about the love of Jesus in a way I hadn't heard it since I was five years old yeah. and first believed. That was a big moment where I went, oh, this narrative is false. This is the real God. But over the years, reading Henry Nouwen and, and um, different Christian therapists, if you will, uh, or pastors who know this love and write about this love, like... Um, Kurt Thompson, the Christian psychiatrist who wrote The Soul mm. of Shame, all about the love of God and the shame that wars against it. David Matheson. Or, exactly. Yeah. They're, they're really, there's a bunch. And if you don't mind me mentioning, yeah, my two both, books yeah. that are written in a relatable way for those of us who want some truth, supported by story, something you can not just hear intellectually, but feel in your gut. Um I would recommend my two books as one of the first movements toward pushing back the falsity of that other narrative. Mm-hmm. But but alongside of that, embodied love pushes back that shame. I was going to ask you that specific question. Exactly. Because I think, like I, I listened, uh, re-listened to your message this week, knowing that you're going to be on the show, uh, and I, and you emphasized it very well, but I... Well, the I picture have, of the doing the blessing prayer, absolutely. And but I, I always have this fear because it's not an element that I think a lot of churches, a lot of even pastors, counselors address as clearly. And so, if if you yeah. didn't hear his message and you didn't get a chance to uh, hear this idea, it's not just about getting the ideas. No, right. it's not. It's ingrained in our bodies so deeply that you need some physical and some emotional work. It's true. And so unpack it a little bit. Well, more. I, I love what you just said. We would like to think in our highly left brain oriented intellectual Western Christian culture that people can just come in, hear some sermons that have truth about the love of God and go away healed. The shame is gone. You know, the opposite of love is shame. The shame is gone, and now we know. So if that's the case, the next Sunday morning, what we ought to do at South is just have a couple of folk up front who maybe are are moving toward that love or have already experienced that love, and then have people that don't know that love, who have been wounded by shame and are living in that shame, like our precious brother or sister that asks the question, come up, stand in line. You come up to us, and you share us with us your story, and then we'll say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever, that includes you, believes in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. You're loved. You've believed a false narrative. Are you good now? Be warm. Be filled. If it was only left brain truth, if it was only living, reading books, if it was only listening to podcasts about the truth versus the error, then that's all we'd have to do. But we're not just a brain, a left brain. We're a limbic brain that feels. And you know this, Aaron, yeah. just by living, let alone your training, 
that damaged emotions will trump cognitive truth every time. Absolutely. So how do we heal those damaged emotions? And one of the ways we know, psychologically speaking, scientifically, neurobiologically, let alone the, the scriptures, yeah. is by the embodiment of that love. So there's a reason why the early church was commanded to greet one another with a holy kiss. That was not a frivolous thing. It's we're going to embody this love. There's a reason why between 1 Corinthians 12, which has all the gifts, we are the body of Christ, and 1 Corinthians 14 that talks about some of the ways these gifts kind of get confused and messed up, you know, around tongues and prophecy and whatnot. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if you have all knowledge, the Greeks valued that knowledge. We value that knowledge. Yeah. If you have all faith, the Jews value that faith. It's important. Yeah. But if you had all of that, but you don't have love, you have all the spiritual gifts, you have all the sermons, you have all the classes, but you don't have a love that's able to embrace you literally, physically, mm. then you've got, Paul says, nothing. Totally. So the body of Christ is intended to be, I think you and I would concur, mm -hmm. not just a place where you come in and listen to something going on, but a place where you can be appropriately, if, if you're able, sometimes we're too wounded for this to happen at the beginning, but appropriately looked at, there's, there's love that can be communicated that way, mm. appropriately touched, appropriately sat with, appropriately listened to. In all of those ways, we're embodying the love of a Jesus who did exactly that with the people he was with mm. in Israel. The woman at the well, Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. You're not just going to hear me lecture to this crowd that's following me around. I'm going to your house. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to listen to mm. you. You're going to feel my love for you. You're going to start to heal because the love that I have is going to be embodied, not just preached. I believe the church is intended to be that place. Yeah, so which reminds me of maybe someone else who's listening. Um, maybe you're a, your grandparent, and you've got a grandchild who is struggling with some of the things that our question yeah. described. And you grew up in the church, and you're thinking, they're going off the deep end, and I'm worried about them, and I'm afraid. Yeah. And I don't know what to do, and I interact with them, and I have access to them in some way. What one of the things that, that may be slightly counterintuitive things for our Western and even yes. overly religious-ified Christianity oftentimes is rather than every time you get a chance to talk to them, telling, challenging them to, verbally challenging them to stop doing the things they're doing or warning them of the dangers that they're stepping into, instead, maybe, just maybe, one of the things you can do is just embody the love. I'm telling you, bro, don't get me going, man. Yeah. So just when you talk to that grandchild, yes, embody the love. When you see them and you give them a hug, yes. embody the love. Oh, man. Because they, they need the warning eventually, but the kindness and the tenderness of the Spirit of God will know how to say that better than you. I promise yes, you I he does. It. But... What you can do physically, and I think Paul actually makes an argument for this in Colossians, but what you can do for them physically is actually changing their neuroscience. New neural pathways. New neural pathways, new neural pathways that pathways. are transformed by love embodied. You are actually changing their life it's by exactly giving them right. a good hug. Well, in fact, look, bro, I, by the <laughs> so way, good. I've always liked you. And from the moment I met you, I began to love you but never more than this moment when I see those tears in your eyes. That's the heart that I see every Sunday that you lead worship. We have a great mm -hmm. worship team, by the way, and I'm not saying the other worship leaders aren't good. They're really good. Yeah. And, and they have the same heart because they're yeah. gathered around you, their leader. We feel the heart of Jesus through the love that you share with us in the music that you choose that your group behind you plays and sings and in the way you speak to us in between those tears, they don't always come out 
in that moment on the stage, mm-hmm. but we feel you embodying that love of Jesus. I want to say that publicly, mm-hmm. um, that, that what, what I just saw in you is one of the reasons I'm so drawn to you mm-hmm. is that you, you are a beloved son. You're growing to know that love and it has continued to heal you over the years, maybe even especially the last few. Mm. And you are giving that away mm. and helping us heal. I just want to say that to you. Well, thanks. <laughs> and, and, and to back that up with a, a text, which I think is much ignored. Here's Peter now. This is so astounding to me. The same guy that came back on the shores of Galilee ready to be mm-hmm. chastised and whatever, and who simply says, no, I love you. Do you love me? First Peter 4, he says, the end of all things is at hand, because, you know, the apostolic community mm-hmm. believed it was short before the coming of Christ. He says, I want you to pray intently. Of course. And then he says, but above all things. All, all things. Even more important than prayer, which is an astounding thing yeah. for him to say. Sheesh, yeah. Love one another. The Greek word means passionately and consistently. Mm. It's translated fervently in the New King James. It means passionately and consistently because that love alone will push back the darkness of a multitude of sins, will literally heal a multitude of sins. Yeah. So while we think we've been trained, no, try harder. You better get your act together. Mm. You know, whatever you have been doing, if it's not working, try another thing. Peter says what we long for is the embodied love of Jesus in the community of faith that will cover a multitude of sins. That's an astounding claim, bro. Absolutely. So, so tips back for our first question asker. If you're wanting to take steps towards this, this love of God that actually has the power to prevent you from sin. Yes. Um, so yes, get the ideas right. So that's meditate on truth the, to put back, meditate back on the love of yes. God. Find yourselves, maybe saturate in Luke chapter 15. Yeah, exactly. Maybe saturate in Romans chapter eight, but, and this is a harder one for you because uh, find someone who is already saturating in the love of God so thoroughly themselves that they're capable of embodying it for you. My brother. Because that relationship has the ability to transform you. Um, and that's what the church is supposed to be. And we, I know, We're I've been in the church yeah. long enough to know that a lot of the times it isn't. And exactly. I apologize to you, whoever you are, if that's been your experience of the church. But Well, it can be uncomfortable, man. It is. It can be. When when I know some folk, when they saw me doing that blessing prayer in both services over yeah. someone that I asked permission to do it, and they said yeah. yes, it's intimate. It, if you and I, like, if, if we could push back these mics, yeah. and we stood in front of our, our, our brothers and sisters here on this camera, and these two big grown men, and we hugged ourselves, and not just a bro hug. Yeah. Not just a boom. Pat. Yeah. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> but we hugged and hung on, which, you know, neurobiologically releases chemicals in the brain that begin to heal us and soothe us. So this is a scientific reality that longer than a two-second hug begins to heal us. But in the kingdom, if you and I did this right right in front of our folks, some of them will be going, oh, bro, that that's long, man. What, it is long. Ooh. Uh, ooh. And yet that uncomfortability is uncomfortable because... We have not known it. Yeah, we haven't experienced it. The more we experience it, the more we come into church or into a Bible study or seeing one of the brothers or one of the sisters at Kroger's or King Supers, we're looking for it, man, because we know whatever darkness that day has tried to land us back in shame Mm. will be pushed back by that moment when one of the sons or daughters of the king takes us in their arms, whispers his love to us, and holds on. So the powers of darkness cannot win against that love. So I'm going to do something that I always do at the end of our episodes is risk another question because we're so out of time. 
but this question could we could go another hour on this one and it's it's related to my other question earlier and we didn't even get to like unpack well we talked about the message you preached because we talked about all of eight um so if i demonstrate unconditional love like like i gave the scenario of a grandparent with a grandchild who's wayward or whatever isn't that uh a condoning of their lifestyle well, was Jesus condoning what Peter did in denying him? No. Was, by by loving him on the shores of Galilee, was Jesus condoning Judas' betrayal when he washed his feet out of love on the very evening that he betrayed him? Or the woman at the well who's sleeping around with everybody in their or Zacchaeus, who has been a betrayer and a and a um, you know, someone who has cheated his own people for his own gain, or we can go on and on and on. Was he saying, "Oh yeah, man, all, all that sin, man, I'm about it," or was with love? Sometimes without speaking a word. Sometimes he did speak. Yeah, but without even speaking a word, was he using literally? the resurrection power of the universe to push back that evil sometimes without saying a word. Yeah. And I'm not saying, look, you and I both know it Mm -hmm. doesn't have to be either or, but we have aired so much on the talking, totally teaching. What if we just added in a, a love that begins to relax people? They don't feel judged. They begin to feel healed. And then they begin to open up about maybe, talking about some of the issues that they really do need to talk about at some point. Think of the Luke 15 father. My son is home. Not, do you know what my son did? And we're waiting for him to repent. My son is home. We're going to kill the fatted calf and have a party. Yeah. Could it be, Aaron, that, that, that God's love is so powerful that sometimes... We don't need words to begin to push back that darkness. And instead of condoning that darkness, we're literally healing it sometimes without speaking a word. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that the reason I asked that question is that, you know, for that person who's like, I'm wrestling with this relationship and I'm trying to draw them out. This is, I wanted to reiterate it because I want, I want you to feel free, like loving someone uh, well, and and embodying the love of God cannot do anything but good for their soul. And so don't be afraid of loving anyone, <laughs> like under any circumstance. Like if you're going to be afraid saying, of anything. Hey, I love your sin and I love the way you're hurting people with your sin. Yeah, like I, don't, no. I love the way that you're a drug addict and you're abusing people. No, that's not what you're saying. You're saying I love you because you're made in the image of God. I love you because he designed you, he knows you, and if he and because of the way he loved me, I have the ability that. to then turn and embrace you in love. And you know, Paul said, I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's suffering. Colossians one, yeah. Colossians one. Mm-hmm. Um, which basically I think his argument is that, you know, the only reason we need you know, was Christ's suffering insufficient for the world. No. no. The only problem is he's not bodily among us Boom. today. So he says, you are now my body, literally physical hands, feet, bodies. I need you to go around and get out, give out a lot of hugs. I need you to physically be my body and my love. And sometimes the world. that love will be not just hugs, but that which is much more sacrificial. Yeah. But that love, again, the and core death. of it is that love that pushes back the darkness. To show you what it means to, to love to the point of suffering. Can I close? I know we've got to go, but yeah. can I close with this one story? And I told Absolutely. it a couple of years ago, but yeah. So here's this young woman comes to me. I'm, I'm probably 30 around the time that I almost committed suicide. I was just in touch with the love of God for myself because hmm. after having my life saved, she said, will you go visit my husband in the County jail? He's, he's going to be tried for a really, really bad crime. He's probably going away for a long time. I said, sure, I'll go. So I went, I sat with this brother who came in and the orange, you know, and he was all yeah. chained up. And he he was a bad actor. I mean, he I felt 
his pain. I felt the darkness. And I opened up the Bible, trying to help him understand something about the love of God from John. And man, if looks could have killed, if looks could have killed. So I realized this ain't going anywhere. So I stopped talking, closed the Bible, looked down. I didn't know what to do, bro. Seminary had not prepared me for this. You know, I was trained to use this. Yeah. This is good. This is awesome. But there was something else needed in that moment. So I looked down and honestly, I began to get really choked up and even cried a few tears because I I didn't know what to do for this brother who's in so much wound and pain. And I mean, he was a violent criminal. This was, this again, was a bad actor, a really wounded guy. Found out later his dad beat him when he was eight, used to beat him. He was shooting heroin by the time he was 12. I mean, he was a really, really wounded guy. So what I did is I got up from around that table, went around. Um, he stood up. The officer that was there came close because, you know, violence yeah. could happen. And, and I put my arms around him. man. And I mean, I held on to this brother. And in prison, man, that's not something that is done. I held on. I didn't, I don't know why, except for the love of God, I held on. Then I kissed him on his cheek. And you especially don't do that in prison. Then I whispered in his ear, I love you, man. And I wonder if I could come back and see you sometime soon before you go to trial. And he mumbled something and he went off to his, his, uh, his cubicle. I went out in the parking lot and kicked the living daylights out of myself. What did I just do? What, yeah, what, what was I thinking? Idiot? What was that in prison? What? That wasn't prison ministry one-on-one. That wasn't even on in the book. He, my friend, Dan, who I write about and choose and choose again, the first chapter, actually, he went back to his cell, this broken, violent criminal. He said, what just happened to me? He told me this later. Whatever that was, I've got to have more. Huh. He got sentenced to 14 to 42. He and I became friends. He didn't trust Christ right away. Yeah. But he told me later he felt God pursuing him all the way through prison. Year eight, a little Southern Baptist preacher came in at during the chapel, shared that same love. Put words on on the embrace. Yeah. He trusted Christ. Dan trusted Christ. Lived out the rest of his time. He got out at the year 14 without one major ticket. And when he came back to our church, the first Sunday he was able after he got out and fulfilled all his requirements, we invited him to come and serve the Lord's table, the body and the blood of Jesus. And his ex-wife and kids that he had hurt and wounded so badly I watched them come down the aisle and take communion from their abuser, former abuser, wow. because of the love of Christ in his life, because of the love of Christ in their life, and because of that cross that was represented and fulfilled in those elements. That's the power we're talking about here today. Yeah, That's the power that grants us the ability to know that nothing will separate us from his love and that no sin committed against us, no sin that we commit can push back that power. If we allow it to come close, Mm. it will keep us safe all the way home. Amen. Oh, so good. So, uh, yeah, Romans eight is pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) Pretty Um, good. Such a great time having a chat with you, Kevin. Thanks for joining us uh, for this week's episode. Hey, so uh, delighted to be with you, man. A, a couple logistics things uh, moving forward. Um, one, I, I think I know Kevin fairly well, and he sort of in passing extended an invitation uh, for whoever asked this question. If if you wanted to to set up a time, um, you could find ways to reach out to him. I'm sure um, I, I, through the website or something. Want me to give my phone number? Oh, that might be a little dangerous. Okay, but I don't know. Right. Yeah, but to you, I, the point I'll is, your you can you can reach out to this <clears throat> South office. I'm I I I know he means it. I do. He mean would that. sit with you. I absolutely. And mean he it. would extend that love. So, or if you're looking for other ways to receive that, if you're if you didn't ask the question and something sparked inside of yeah. you and said, well, maybe just maybe just maybe just maybe, this is what I was needing. Um, what I'm we have people for. here at staff who would love to sit with you. Amen. 
and have those same kinds of conversations followed by an extension of hopefully uh, in our own brokenness, embodied love. Amen. Um, so uh, yes, thanks for tuning in. Do the things that you're supposed to do. Love the like, the subscribe, the uh, review our podcast. We're so bad at this marketing. And give thing. lots of money. Yeah, that's right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. I don't know where to give it to now. Um, <laughs> And, uh, oh, and just a reminder, September 11th, we're going to be doing our live in-person recording Q&A session in 6510. So uh, mark your calendars if that sounds interesting to you. If no one shows up, hey, Alex and I don't really care. We just have fun anyway. So uh, we're going to do it whether you show or not. But um, it'd be more fun if you And you can ask any questions that night? Yeah, so we'll be... Open forum? Yeah, it'll be questions uh we're kicking off a series on the sermon on the mount Uh, which is like the magnum opus of jesus's teaching um and so some of the questions will be centered around that but yeah yeah we'll just open up questions and and we'll just see what happens i love it. it'll be an adventure for all of us um i think that's it we're gonna sign off and we'll see y'all next week with um It'll be kind of interesting. I'm not going to tell you any, any, any cat out of the bag, but next week it'll be kind of an interesting episode. So we'll see you next week. See y'all later. Love you. And then I'm going to have to kill some time until I can hit the stop button. Bye. Well, thanks again for listening. And we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this. So feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing. And we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.